Listeners, it's Sam here again, and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show. Paces Ahead have courses for the start of 2024, and listeners, here's a possible sweetener for you. I will be there at their first course of 2024. That's the 16th to the 19th of January. Please do come along and say hi if you catch me. It would be great to meet some of you if you're there. But there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well. The 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market-leading online revision paces resource. I think most pacer sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward-based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labelled past test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome back listeners, Dr. Sam Williams here again and another Paces topic for you this week in the form of Cushing Syndrome. I was joined by Dr. Sajini Wijatelika, a dual accredited consultant in endocrinology and diabetes as well as acute medicine and general internal medicine. As ever, we talk through the possible presenting symptoms of a patient with Cushing's, we talk through the important clinical signs as well as the investigations and management. And not only that, but Sajini takes on Quiz the Consultant at the end of the show on her specialist topic of Sri Lankan food. As we discuss in the podcast, she runs her very own Sri Lankan food blog over on Instagram, which I've dropped a link to in the show notes, but you can find it on Instagram at Sri Lankan Food Doc. And as usual, we pay thanks to those wonderful donators on the Buy Me A Coffee page. Thank you so much to Steph, to Max and to Tom, who all supported the show as a little thank you after they passed their paces. Consider this episode dedicated to you guys for your generosity. One last thing to mention is that there is some mild interference in this podcast from Sajini's wonderful dogs. It's short and fleeting, so listen out for it. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Pre-Paces podcast. I am Dr. Sam Williams, and today we're covering another station for the clinical consultation in Paces. It's a topic which ticks all the usual Paces boxes. You've got stable patients, stable signs that the examiners can bring in on the day at short notice. And that topic is covering patients with signs of Cushing syndrome. I've got another expert guest on the show, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Sajini Wijatilika, who is a consultant in acute medicine at Norfolk Park Hospital in London. Sajini is dual accredited in general medicine and endocrinology and has kindly given up some time to help us talk through Cushing's. So Sajini, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sam. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. And not only will Sajini be helping us tackle Cushing syndrome, but 
She will also take part in our regular feature at the end of the show called Quiz the Consultant. This is the quiz where our bosses take on a specialist subject of their own choosing, but it can't be to do with medicine. So, Sajini, what have you chosen as your specialist subject? We've chosen Sri Lankan food today because I've got a food blog. Um, some people are following it on Instagram. It's at Sri Lankan food dog. So go and follow it if if what you hear appeals to you. Fantastic. So that's coming up. But for now, let's get started on Cushing syndrome. So, Sajini, we all know that eponymous syndromes don't really have as pure definitions as a syndrome is just a collection of signs that are commonly seen together. I wonder if you can try and define as good a definition as as you can for Cushing syndrome and maybe describe some of the signs most commonly seen in Cushing's. Well, Cushing syndrome is hypercortisolism. And the physical signs that you can see in hypercortisolism, they affect the whole body. So you can start off with the rounded faces. You can then move on to have bruised skin, poor dentition. You may have thrush in your mouth due to um, increased uh, glucose levels or potential diabetes. You may go onwards to get high blood pressure. You may get visual change to do with that. Um, People that may have pituitary Cushing's may go on to have a visual field defect as well. Um, With respect to the rest of the body, they may have thin skin. They may have an intrascapular fat pad. They may have a particular appearance with a lot of um, abdominal fat, um, but very thin arms and legs. And they're at risk of osteoporosis and hypertension. Fantastic. And it would probably be fair to say that historically Cushing's would have been one of those paces stations where it's one of the, the spot diagnoses and you'd be expected to go into the station, see the patient, and then you turn and say, sir, this patient has Cushing syndrome and this is the reasons why. But now what we're finding is that a lot of, particularly with these clinical consultation stations, it's often complications of a condition or it's an association with the condition. And so Sometime later in the show, we'll be running through all the other associated features of the condition as well. And so one thing you mentioned is distinguishing between pituitary Cushing's and non-pituitary Cushing's. So I wonder if we can just take a moment to go through some of the basics and talk about exogenous versus endogenous Cushing's and the differences between them. So I wonder if we can start off uh, talking about exogenous Cushing's. So what do we mean when we talk about exogenous steroid versus endogenous? So exogenous causes are due to when the patient has ingested a glucocorticoid, be it, you know, an injectable, um, be it prednisolone tablets, um, hydrocortisone or dexamethasone for a chronic disease. The disease is often autoimmune or inflammatory. And uh, that's what you have to think about. So very often in a PACES station five, we cook this up with the rheumatoid patient, somebody with very bad asthma that's needed multiple steroid courses in a year. So these are the people that are most likely to have drug-induced Cushing's. The other thing to say about that, I guess, is that people all over the country, all over the world, take steroids for so many different reasons. And that's another thing which our listeners are going to need to be conscious of is knowing possible conditions where steroids is a therapy, having to take that on board and and maybe do a bit of night move thinking to to process that as well. My thought would probably be that it is probably going to be too simple in paces to say this is someone with Cushing's who's been taking too much steroid, unless it's a a particularly atypical 
mechanism. I don't think you're going to have someone with COPD who's had courses of prednisolone who's suddenly got a, a Cushingoid appearance. My feeling is that for patients that may be too straightforward. And so what they may do is find patients who have signs of Cushing's, but then give them a, a cover story, so to speak. And those cover stories are most likely to be suggestive of endogenous Cushing's. So maybe, Sajini, could you talk us through endogenous Cushing's and the differences between uh, that and the exogenous? So endogenous Cushing's is um, something that can be ACTH dependent or ACTH independent. So 80% of cases are ACTH, so pituitary dependent, and they are termed Cushing's disease. You can also have ACTH dependent ectopic secretion in neuroendocrine tumours. They're typically bronchial. They can be uh, pancreatic as well. They can also very rarely be ovarian as well. Um, with respect to ACTH independent Cushing's, these are caused by adrenal adenomas, adrenal carcinomas. Um, there are other rare causes as well, uh, which we study in endocrine, um, particularly when you work in a tertiary centre, um, but they don't tend to come up in a PACES exam. Uh, with respect to what you said about the COPD, actually common things are common. So definitely don't rule that out. Um, if you see something that looks like Cushing syndrome, by all means, say it. And, you know, look for evidence that might support you, such as a blood pressure cough, blood pressure medication, finger pricks to indicate glucose testing, thin skin, so on and so forth. You know, as a clinician, you're looking at the whole picture, not just one condition. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we will come on to our detailed examination of the patient a little bit later. But Sajini, when we talk about the patients presenting as they might do in PACES, the clinical consultations is going to involve the history and the examination. So first of all, we're going to be thinking about the symptoms that someone with Cushing's might present with. So what are the common symptoms that we that you see in patients who are suspected to have Cushing's? Weight gain is the most common one. Um, the next thing is that um, they may be worried about vague headaches, visual loss, you know, they might be bumping into objects or falling down the stairs. Um, some people might have car accidents or driving problems. Other people, they might notice a change in appearance. They might think, okay, my clothes aren't fitting me, but I'm not changing my diet. Some people, you know, they find that their glasses aren't fitting. Other people, obviously, they're going to get symptoms that might go with consequences of Cushing, such as hypertension, so headache, shortness of breath, um, they might have heart problems such as a heart attack. They might have strokes. You know, some people might have osmotic symptoms of diabetes like polyuria, polydipsia, thirst. Occasionally you get patients that present with oligo or amenorrhea, particularly if they're a younger female. And Cushing's is often found in patients that are 30 to 40 years old. So some people might present and think, oh, this is an early menopause. You know, perhaps I should get checked out for this for fertility cons concerns, you know because um, that's on their mind at that age. So that's uh, one thing. Some people, obviously, there's a change in personality. That's more common in male than female patients. Um, people talk about roid rage. Uh, some people may present, particularly older ones, after a fracture. And some people may present with a low potassium that's just not um, being corrected. Yeah, fantastic. So I think, I mean, that demonstrates just the breadth of um, and variety of symptoms that these patients can present with. And, and the examiners will be looking out for you to clock onto the multisystemic nature of Cushing's and ask about these possible complicating factors of the condition. And I guess the other thing is the patient, especially with things like this, as, as you mentioned, Sajini, is they'll, they'll have a, a concern, as you mentioned, so in a female 
of, of childbearing age, that's going to be a particular concern for them. And I guess the other thing to, to mention just in the history is, which we've already discussed, past medical history is going to be critical, isn't it, for any condition that mm. they need they need systemic steroid therapy for. Yes, that's right. And we've already talked through some of those. We've talked about rheumatoid arthritis, COPD, interstitial lung disease, bristle asthma, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease. So all of these things that will be things to look out for. So as we said, it's going to be a, a very broad history depending on exactly what they've come in with. So I guess the advice from a patient's perspective is to take the initial presenting symptom and just have an open mind as to what other potential complicating factors there might be. That's right. And I guess my next uh, question is, in the extended history, we're going to be asking about family history. Is there any familial element to these endogenous forms of Cushing's? Yes, so you can get um, tumour syndromes that include the pituitary. For example, MEN may present with Cushing's. Yeah, so family history, obviously important. I think the the social history goes without saying, you're going to have to take a, a focused social history, including all the usual types of things. And as we mentioned, they're with the patients who are prone to diabetes and hypertension, asking about smoking and alcohol intake as cardiovascular risk factors is obviously going to be important. And then there's always questions about impact on function and what's the patient's concern. So then after taking the focused history from your patient, we're going to be moving on to the clinical signs. And and Sergina, you really beautifully packaged uh, a summary of those at the start. But I wonder if we could just go into it in a PACES style scenario of, of how you might structure an examination of a patient uh, with suspected Cushing. So whereabouts would you start? Because it is such a multi-systemic and holistic examination. Well, within the station five, you're expected to um, do the history and examine at the same time in a sort of ambulatory care-like consult. You've got 10 minutes. In those 10 minutes, um, you should be able to make your patient feel comfortable and consent to being examined by you. Obviously, you should uh, alcohol your hands. After that, ask them if they're in any, any pain. Ask which symptoms are troubling them the most. Focus on that as you're doing your examination. Make sure from the end of the bed or end of the chair, you can see you know, whether they're wheezing, whether they are centrally obese where they've got a plethoric appearance on their face whether they, they're starting to become hairy on their face whether they're having any hair loss as well um, on their scalp um, it's important to look at their hands and their fingers and look for cbg testing request a blood pressure t- check um, if you've got thin skin or bruising on the hands or arms comment on that as well comment on the proportion of their body as well when you're um, presenting to the examiner but do it in a way that's polite to the patient as well um, at the same time you may notice some hyperpigmentation in their armpits or in their groin creases um, palpate their abdomen or look for striae it's worth checking for proximal myopathy as well and standing from a chair without using arms in addition to checking the visual field and offering a fundoscopy if relevant yeah absolutely I think probably the visual assessment is going to be uh, universal. You get, you're going to have to do that in any patient with uh, with cushions looking for that uh, bitemporal hemianopia. And I think, Sam, the other thing is they may put people in that might have had Cushing surgery before that might have all the phenotypic appearance, but they've got a neurosurgical scar, you know, the transferoidal scar in their nose. They may have an adrenal scar if they've had adrenal Cushings for an adrenalectomy. So I think people should be familiar with that as well. If they've got a Cushing syndrome secondary to a different condition, 
look out for the symptoms and signs that go with that condition as well. So rheumatoid, colitis, COPD, common things are common. Yeah, absolutely. You, you really don't want to be missing those, you know, those basic, no. those basic marks. I guess one of the things which is just really important in this, as as you say, Sajini, is the patient's going to be in front of you from minute one, and you're going to have to take in a lot of this by observation. There's a lot you can see while you're taking the history without specifically asking for it. Yes, that's right. So if we move on very quickly to the differential diagnosis for this type of presentation, it's going to have to fit with your history. But Sajini, what are the types of differential diagnosis for a patient presenting with Cushing's? Because just thinking off the top of my head, they can't be too many. From a pituitary perspective, you need to um, do all the tests to differentiate between Cushing's and other things. From an adrenal perspective, you know, there may be adrenal tumours that look like this. There may be... um, Syndromes such as carcinoid that may present with flushing and some of the similar symptoms and signs. Yeah, really interesting. And so important to mention the differential diagnoses. I guess the other thing is, I guess acromegaly is possibly one. Exactly. So that's why the pituitary tests to differentiate between the two are relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And that segues us really nicely into our investigations. And so when you finish your examination, you finish summarising your presentation to the uh, examiner. You'll be expected to talk about the investigations that you'd offer to the patient. What are the basic things we need to mention? And then what are the more specific diagnostic tests which we're going to need to mention? So first, look at the observation chart and pay attention to the blood pressure to check. Um, I think it's important to know that some people can co-present with um, cushions and a FIO. So look for a tachycardia as well, um, because that might um, push you towards one than the other. Um, Look at the capillary blood glucose as well. Do a urine dip to look for glucose as well. And for any, you know, proteinuria or anything that could go with hypertensive disease. Um, then go on to order your bloods. Um, I, the potassium might be low. And then go on to do an ECG to look for LVH from hypertension and an echo as well. Um, I think that's very important. It's important to get biochemistry sorted out before um, ordering your imaging. So call your endocrine team. Um, if you don't have an endocrine team, the Imperial Centre for Endocrinology has got a great endocrine Bible. You can look at impc.com and follow the protocols looking for Cushing's. So first, you've got to confirm your diagnosis. So you've got a series of tests you can do. Um, the preferred test is actually an overnight desinosome test um, as a screening. And then going on to do a low dose dex as well. 24 hour urinary free cortisol is not commonly done at least not not in the imperial region. I agree that two different concordant abnormal tests are required to confirm the diagnosis. And it's important to stop HRT or the oral contraceptive pill, um, steroid creams and inhalers prior to doing the test as well. Uh, With respect to um, other tablets, obviously, you know, hold their, their doses of Pred or DEX or whatever they might be on prior to doing the um, Cushing screening test as well. Yeah, fantastic. And I wonder if you can uh, could just just describe for the listeners about the overnight uh, DEX suppression test and and how that's carried out. Yeah, so the overnight DEX test, um, you've stopped the patients taking the relevant medications. 
you um, make yourself aware that patients may be on medications that can increase hepatic clearance of cortisols and give you fake results as well. So make sure your patient's not on any of those if it can be helped. With the overnight decks, you take one milligram at uh, 11 p.m. and you measure the cortisol the next day at 9 a.m. With the 48-hour low-dose dex suppression test, you take um, half a milligram of dexamethasone at six hourly intervals for 48 hours and you measure your cortisol and ACTH at the start and the end of the test. A normal result means that your serum cortisol suppresses to less than 50. So the cortisol is suppressed by the, do the dose of dexamethasone. If it's not, then you've got to um, look into further tests. So Sam has touched upon the 24-hour urinary free cortisol and at least three collections are required to avoid missing mild disease. Um, it's possible to miss mild disease if you've got end-stage renal failure. I don't know about the late night or salivary cortisols or midnight cortisols as they are very rarely done. I've certainly never done one myself. ACTH levels, um, this is helpful to know as um, if you've got a low ACTH, you're more likely to have an adrenal cause of Cushing's. And if you've got a high ACTH, you most likely have an ACTH dependent condition, such as a pituitary Cushing or um, an ACTH um, producing tumour. If you're in the interim period of 5 to 15 ACTH, then you need further characterisation and repeat testing to um, delineate where the Cushing's is coming from. Yeah, brilliant. And then we move into the more advanced investigations. And one of those is inferior petrosal sinus sampling. IPSS. So you need um, to prep your patient for this. Um, it's done in a specialist centre with a neuroradiologist. It's yeah. the most invasive test, but it's the most reliable one for differentiating between pituitary and non-pituitary causes of ACTH secretion. Uh, it's important to get an MR pituitary done prior to this with the IPSS you're giving the patient some CRH so corticotropin releasing hormone you're looking at the ratios of ACTH between um, central causes or the peripheral causes so in the peripheral veins and you're also looking at you know levels of cortisol as well it's important to do um, CT imaging for adrenal uh, mass or hyperplasia as well as pituitary uh, depending on what you find don't forget your chest x-ray because you may have ectopic ACTH from a lung lesion. And then after all your investigations, so in, in clinical practice, Sajini, I know that in places there's a bit of clinical crossover because it's important to know every avenue that's possible to go down. But in at least in your region, what uh, what's the first test and how, how does your testing usually uh, evolve? Testing wise, it's everything we discussed before, but overnight dex is our first screening test. Um, before referring people onwards to a specialist centre. Um, it's important to discuss, uh, once we have found Cushing's, uh, the risk or benefit discussion of surgery, the risk or benefit discussion of um, giving them a steroid sparing agent which uh, cuts off the pathways of 11-beta-hydroxylase and other cortisol-producing enzymes. So we're looking at things like um, metyrapone or ketoconazole prior to surgery. It's important to look at whether your patient's got complications as well and whether these need management, such as uh, hypertension, diabetes, bone protection, a PPI for, you know, increased gastritis. Yeah, fantastic. Sajini, we've talked about the investigations and now moving on to the management. And we'll cover each of these in turn. So if we start off with the exogenous excessive steroid, what I mean, the, the mainstay of management is is going to be discussing alternatives, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. So if you've got a condition like colitis, Crohn's, COPD, you need to discuss whether your patient would benefit from going on to a different agent such as um, Montelukast, Aminophilin, you know, azathioprine, whatever it is, um, methotrexate, and the obviously expected side effects and complications of that as well. In addition to counselling them about you know what would happen if their Cushing syndrome got worse really important to manage the complications as much as as much as possible and that's going to form a pivotal part of the management so then if we move on to the endogenous steroid and managing that obviously it would depend on the exact diagnosis but what options are available to us in in managing the endogenous cushings okay so um in prep for for surgery at a tertiary center patients are often put on metaropone or ketoconazole um, so these are used in order to reduce the baseline cortisol and the symptomology. So they like to put the cortisols to less than 300 um, preoperatively. The reason these drugs work is that they um, reduce um, the circulating cortisol by inhibiting enzymes such as 11-beta-hydroxylase. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, in the in pituitary cushions, is radiotherapy, does that play a role? It does, yes, but it's often a post-surgical treatment. Fantastic. And then it's, it's slightly different for the ectopic ACTH secreting tumours, because I guess that depends on where exactly it's coming from. Where it is, yes. And a lot of patients, they don't benefit from a surgery um, because it's very hard to target the lesion. So they just get systemic octreotide or pagerotide. Really? Wow. That's interesting to know that they that they don't benefit from that. They don't always, no, particularly if you can't find a target. Well, Sajini, so we've talked through Cushing's, how it might present in paces. We've talked about what you should look for on examination. We've talked about the investigations mm-hmm. and the management. So that only leaves us to talk about your quiz, the consultant topic. Just a quick shout out to our podcast partners, Pass Test. Of course, Pass Test have Cushing stations, which feature as a part of their online revision resource to perfectly complement this episode of the podcast. You know my thoughts on it. It's an absolute essential for your patient's revision. So to get access to Pass Test, just click the link in the show notes. But for now, let's get into Quiz the Consultant. It's time for the greatest regular non-medical quiz to feature on a medical podcast. It's Quiz the Consultants. Welcome to Quiz the Consultant, the quiz where our consultants take on a specialist topic of their own choosing with a caveat that it can't be related to medicine. So, Sajini, remind us again, what have you chosen as your specialist subject? I've chosen Sri Lankan food as I run a Sri Lankan food blog on Instagram. And just remind us, what? Uh, how can we find you on Instagram? It's at Sri Lankan food doc. And listeners, I have to say, when Sajini chose this as her topic, she chose it at exactly the wrong time because it was right before my lunch that I started looking at this Instagram <laughs> blog. And uh, my mouth was literally watering as I was looking at this blog. It's incredible. And uh, over 13,000 followers to date, Sajini. That's a, that's a decent following. It is. It is. It started as a sort of lockdown project um, because a lot of people who were doing Sri Lankan blogs um, were people who were not from the community, but they'd gone abroad on holiday 
and they were sharing what they enjoyed. And I thought it was time for somebody who had grown up with it to give their perspective as well. So yes, it started in late 2019, early 2020, and it's just grown. And I've had some great opportunities through it. And I'm very, very thankful for all the lovely people that I've met. That's fantastic. And one thing that I saw on there was that there's recently there was a Just Giving page as well. So I don't know if you want to just give that a quick plug. Of course. So um, we had an event in aid of Medical Aid for Sri Lanka, which is a charity that is long established in Barnet. It's run by some local GPs and essentially they've been supporting projects in Sri Lanka for a very long time. At the moment, Sri Lanka is in an economic crisis. They do not have enough money to screen blood donations. Uh, for patients that need a transfusion. They don't have enough um, antibiotics, anticonvulsants, you know, the medications that you and I take for granted. And this is why we did a massive fundraiser at the clubhouse in Crawley and invited our favourite Sri Lankan celebrity, so not Ramesh, but his mum, who's funnier (laughs) than him, and um, did a massive charity auction um, in order to um, raise money. So our Just Giving page is open. We've raised over 5,500 from that one event. Um, the page is open if anybody else wants to donate whatever they can. Payday's just gone. So the patients and the doctors and nurses of Sri Lanka will really, really appreciate it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, particular projects that this particular set of funds is going to are helping the cancer hospital in Maharagama and helping the Kidney Patient Association with dialysis costs. Wow. I mean, that's it's just a fantastic cause. So listeners, if you are so inclined and you want to donate to a really fantastic cause, it's at Sri Lankan Food Doc. So uh, head over to Instagram. And as uh, Sajini says, dig deep for a fantastic cause. Sajini, it's time to get into your quiz consultant. This is a really brilliant. Yep. Uh, this is a really brilliant topic. And I learned a lot just just from researching the topic. And I'd encourage everyone to um, really dig into this because it's, it's a fantastic topic. But I have to say, I'm going to I am going to butcher some of the pronunciation here. So I do apologize no in advance. <laughs> also, disclaimer, some of these might be like horribly wrong. So <laughs> Oh, I've don't done, worries, no worries. I've done, I've done my best to research, but I, it's been, a, okay. I, I might not be right, but please bear with me. Okay. And you can sure. please educate me as well. I'm, I'm all open to that. Yeah, too. no problem. So this is how we play. You've got 10 questions, so you can get two points if you answer without the multiple choice options, or you can get one point if you answer with the multi, multi-choice options. Okay, great. And so there's 20 points up for grabs. The so question number one, what is the name of the popular Sri Lankan breakfast dish, which is essentially a uh, pastry shaped like a bowl? Hoppers. Correct. For two points. <laughs> okay. Question number two, what is a traditional Sri Lankan sweet treat made from rice flour and, and kittle treacle traditionally consumed during the Sinhalese and Tamil New Year and may be flavoured with cardamom? The cavum. Cavum is correct. And I have to say, I want some cavum. They look okay. Delicious. There are some great people selling them and delivering them from London. So uh get online. People are selling. If if that's the if listeners, if that's the only thing you take away from this quiz, have a look at Cavum. K-A-V-U-M. They look delish. Anyway, moving on. Question number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, which other traditional Sri Lankan sweet treat is made with rice flour, coconut milk? turmeric and salt before being deep fried in a traditional mold shaped like a flower. Caucus. That is 
Cockis for another two points. Question number four. What is a traditional Sri Lankan rice dish cooked in banana leaves? Now, there's quite a few of them. Oh, okay. So lamp, lamp, rice, lamp rice is the most popular one, so I'm going to go with that. Lamp That's rice. an absolute treat. Lamp rice is correct. That was the one I was thinking of. Question number five. What is the name given to the Sri Lankan coconut cake? But there's so many of them. Oh, God. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> The one that I found Bibbicun's popular. Bibbicun is the one I Bibbicun is the one I've got on the card, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> this is it's it's really embarrassing because it's I feel like I'm underdoing it massively. But either way No, you it. are getting everybody to know about Sri Lankan food, so it's good that you know we're discussing the most popular ones. Yeah. So Bibbicun yeah. is correct. And that's five yes. out of five so far. Question number six. Kotu roti is a popular staple of Sri Lankan street food, but when translated from the Tamil and Sinhalese, what does kotu roti mean? Cut up pancakes, yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah, it's pretty much. I've got chopped bread, but cut That's up, fair. cut up, I mean, you said cut up pancakes, but chopped bread is, is right. Number seven. What is the name of the Sri Lankan spicy salad made with grated coconut, onion, and chili? A sambal. It is a sambal. Question number eight. Uh, name the popular Sri Lankan dish made uh, from jackfruit. <laughs> I'm sure there's loads of these as well. It depends on the age of the jackfruit. Uh, palos is the one that's most commonly sold. You're, you've really got me with the ones that are most popular because that's been pretty much what, <laughs> the route I've gone down. But palos is what's on the card. Mm. Yeah, the pasta's great if you're vegan or vegetarian. Yeah, um, and, and actually, when when I, obviously I was looking at your blog and also um, researching for this quiz, the pictures look just stunning. It's brilliant. Thank you. It, it looks de like delicious food, and I'm it's it's opening a whole new world for me, and one that I'm sure the listeners will will love as well. Amazing. So, question number nine, and we're full. We're on full marks at the moment. We're on for a hundred percent. What is the name of the drink that derives its name from a variety of coconut known as the King Coconut? So Thambili. Thamb Thambili is correct for another two points. And this for the 100%. Yeah. What type of dish is Ambul Dial? So that's a sour fish preparation from the South of Sri Lanka. And they use a thing that's a bit like a sour apricot called Gorica to flavour it and get the black colour. And um, can you... What what mm -hmm. what what's the? Uh, I'm trying to get just a bit more specific. What what's the? You said it's a preparation, but what exactly is it? So it's prepared in a clay pot with um, a black sauce, which is made with a kind of sour apricot-like thing called a gorica. You know, over here, if you don't have any gorica, well, you can buy the Ambleville paste from all good Sri Lankan stores. Um, and what I really love is using that paste for um, slightly unorthodox, but it's very yummy anyway. Chicken does really well with chicken and it goes really well with um polos as well there you are <laughs> options options there's so many options and you've obviously shown how much you love your Sri Lankan food because you've got 20 out of 20 thank you That's thanks absolutely fantastic and what would what more would we expect from a an expert Sri Lankan food blogger and that's why it's quiz the consultant it's an expert topic of your own choosing yes thank you oh Sajidi, it's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us to discuss, first of all, Cushing Syndrome, but also opening my world to the world of Sri Lankan <laughs> food. It's, it's going to be, it's, I think my oh, cuisine, 
my cuisine is going to have expanded from from now on so thank you so much great news um all the best to everyone that's got an exam coming up fantastic so listeners that is the end of another show so please don't forget to like follow subscribe to the show leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts we always love to hear from you so please do get in touch give us a shout on our twitter which is at prepaces podcast if you want to go above and beyond and directly support the show you can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash prepaces podcast but for now we are just about out of time thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the prepaces podcast <laughs>